You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And good morning out there. Welcome to the prologue here on America's Web Radio. I am Doug Dahlgren. I'm a writer myself. You can find out about my work on Amazon or email me here at the station at Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or you can also use Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I also like to do this show here every week because it's such a thrill to meet and bring you folks talent that perhaps you haven't met before. Today's guest is quite special, and if you don't already know about Fran Stewart, you're absolutely going to love hearing about her and from her and about her books. Now, before we get started, as we usually do, please allow me to recognize a couple of extra special groups of listeners. First, those brave men and women of our armed forces stationed around the world, working so hard every day to protect us back here at home. And also we include in this the first responders who are here in our communities, those police, fire, and rescue personnel who risk their lives for us at a moment's notice. Our thanks to each and every one of you for what you do, and thank you for listening to the prologue. Now, To everyone out there, if you or someone you know is an author or an interesting person with a good story to tell, please contact me. Again, that's Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I would love to speak to you about perhaps being on a future program and telling the world about your story, your book, or whatever's going on with you. Now, our guest here today, and we are in the palatial studios of America's Web Radio this morning. She brings us not one, but two sets of mystery series, as well as other standalone works in both fiction and nonfiction. Every writer has a hook that they use to get you interested. And for that purpose today, Fran Stewart brings us the first of her Scott Shop mysteries, A Wee Murder in My Shop. And this is your prologue. Peggy Wynn is a shop owner in a small New England town. Now, those who sell must first buy the goods that they offer. So, on a buying trip across the sea, Peggy finds a cache of Scottish treasure. She finds and is entranced by one interesting and very old tartan shawl, an item she can't help but purchase from the tiny shop with the very odd yet tightly controlled no-return policy. The shawl, as you see, happens to be inhabited by the spirit of a 14th century Scotsman. The ghost is benign and clearly not limited by the normal rules of being a spirit. Then things get strange. Upon returning to her home in Vermont, Peggy finds the body of her ex-boyfriend lying on the floor of her shop. Adding to the distress is that Peggy's cousin is charged with the crime. Peggy enlists the help of her new ghostly friend, to help find this killer, and to say any more would simply spoil your fun. The book, again, is A Wee Murder in My Shop, and its author, Fran Stewart, is with us this hour. How are you doing this morning, Fran? I'm doing great, but I'm wondering, are there normal rules about being a ghost? (laughs) Apparently, and apparently this guy doesn't follow them. Well, no, he doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't. He can't walk through walls. It's a real shame. Well... The wee murder in my shop, it's it's subtle Scottish dialect that you use. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, people can fake it by just saying, ah, oh, wee morning or good morning. Mm. But you have actual 
realistic Scottish dialogue throughout the dialogue of your book. And I misused the first word. It's the dialect that you use. Now, it's dead on all the way through it. And there's no pun intended there. Does that come natural to you or did you have to study it? There was some studying involved. Um, I've visited Scotland before. I'm, you know, I'm familiar with hearing the um, the Scottish brogue, but there is something very um, critical in writing dialogue in dialect. That is, you can't confuse the reader. Now, I know we've all read people writers who have tried to do dialect and it's nothing but dialect and it's very very hard to follow and I didn't want to do that so my dialect is more a suggestion of what what he sounds like um, there's the obvious of using y-e ye instead of you um, he sticks in a lot of a wee this and a wee that or the wee doggy <laughs> um, but You'll find that there are there are many times when, um, if you're not paying attention to it, the dialect is just kind of there in the background, but it's not intrusive, and that was my goal. You don't want it to be a distraction. Absolutely not. And and I and want it, it to be integral to the to the piece. And I think you mastered that. Uh, just you. tell the readers, it's an enjoyable read. This is the first of a new series, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Uh, but your very first series, which is called the Biscuit McKee Min- uh, Mysteries, those were all set in a fictional town in Georgia. Yes. Okay. Now, the Scott Shop Mysteries, of which a wee bit uh, or a wee murder is the first of these, this is set in a fictional town of Hamlin, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Why the venue change? Oh. Well, I've lived both in Georgia and in Vermont for 20 years each, more than 20 years. And um, I wanted, there, there was something about the Green Mountains of Vermont that just lent itself more to the idea of a Scottish ghost. I wanted him to be at home, or feel at home where he was. And um, the, the Green Mountains of Vermont are in many ways like the Highlands of Scotland. On the other hand, in the Biscuit McKee series, uh, set in this fictional town of Martinsville in northeast Georgia, um, it has a southern feel to it, and I wanted the characters to have that that southern connection of family and, and all that, so it just seemed right to put one series in Georgia and one in Vermont. Now, how do the series differ other than just their locations? Oh, they're they're quite different, and um, it's really kind of fun working on two different series because if I get stuck writing one, I just switch to the other one, and it's so totally different that I, um, you know, I can get into the mood real quickly. Um, uh, Biscuit McKee is a librarian, whereas Peggy Wynn is a shop owner, although they're both involved with a cop, um, Harper in in uh, Vermont, and. Um, and Biscuit's husband, Bob Sheffield, in in the Biscuit McKee books. Um, There are other differences. Let's see. Uh, Biscuit is a 49-year-old married woman. Um, Peggy Wynn is a 30-year-old unmarried woman. 
Um, I've got a cat, Marmalade, who speaks in italics throughout the Biscuit McKee series. Her people don't understand her, though. They just think she's purring. Um, whereas the Scott shop is more geared toward dogs, uh, particularly Scotty, Scottish Terriers. But the, the biggest difference is that the Scott shop books are what are called cozy mysteries, um, beach reads, I guess you'd, you'd call them. Um, n- on, in both series, the violence happens off stage. You know, there's no blood and gore. Uh, I don't speak with four-letter words, so I don't write with four-letter words. But um, but there is a huge difference in that the Biscuit McKee books are what I call traditional mysteries as opposed to cozies. A traditional mystery can go deeper and darker than a cozy. And I deal with specific issues in each one of my Biscuit McKee books. Um, bipolar disorder, suicide prevention, the long-term effects of childhood abuse on two of the women in the town. Um, again, I don't, I don't dwell on the, the goriness. I don't show what's going on. It, uh, the problems are alluded to. But then at the end of each one of those Biscuit McKee books, I give toll-free numbers and websites where people can go to get more information about the problems. I see that as part of my responsibility as a writer. Very good. I, I want to write a really good story, an entertaining mm-hmm. story, but I also want to give people something to take home with them, if you will. My own sister is bipolar, and she wasn't diagnosed until she was in her 40s. Uh, we had no idea what was going on. It, it was it was awful. She had two um, she had two suicide attempts um, before she was ever diagnosed in her 40s, and. Um, so when I started writing the Biscuit McKee series, I wanted to have a character who was bipolar so that I could educate people about what bipolar disorder is. And from there, the series just expanded into other other that's, issues. That, that's a motivation right there to read oh, yes. the series. Absolutely. Oh, yes. I want to ask you, while we're talking about Biscuit McKee, mm-hmm. each title has a theme of colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give you folks an example here, we've got orange is marmalade, yellow is legal pads, green is garden hose, blue is blue jeans, and on and on and on. Now, is that just for fun, or is there some deep secret meaning to this? Oh, there's a highly deep meaning, yes. Um, Janet Ivanovich took the numbers, and Sue Grafton took the alphabet, so I took the colors. That's <laughs> all it was left, I guess. Yes. Well, that's a good answer. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And then you've already introduced us to Marmalade. So, mm-hmm. uh, let's see. Which Iris is where the first is, title came right. from, Orange is Marmalade. So, but anyway, there's seven books in that series. So far. That go to, yes. so far. Mm-hmm. It's not complete. And, uh, ends up, so far it ends up with Gray as Ashes. Now that one yes. sounds dark. Well, it, uh, deals with arson, um, Somebody kills someone and tries to cover it up by burning the building down around them. So um, as research for that book, I took the Gwinnett County Citizen Fire Academy, which was so much fun um, and very informative. We we got to um, – it's a 12-week course, Thursday nights from 6 to 9 for 12 weeks. And um, we got some training at the fire academy where – our Gwinnett County firefighters are actually trained. Uh, we got to put on the turnout gear and climb ladders and and um, haul hoses through buildings and shoot the fire hoses. It, oh, it was great fun. Um, we got to crawl through a burning building. Well, fake fire. You know, it's not... <laughs> they wouldn't do that to us. Um, but 
it gave me a real appreciation for what the firefighters do on a daily basis. You know, we're the ones running out of the building, and they're the ones running into the building. Absolutely. And I just, I've served as a volunteer at fire headquarters since I graduated from that class. Now, in preparation this week, um, I actually heard from Snoopy, and he wants to talk to you about borrowing an opening line. Uh, I believe in Violet as Amethyst. You borrowed one of Snoopy's <laughs> famous lines from sitting on the doghouse. You want to explain that to us? Yes. Well, I've always wanted to start a book and end a book with a cliché. And so the um, Indigo is an Iris begins, it was a dark and stormy night, damn it. <laughs> Did I get the wrong one? I thought it was, was Violet as Amethyst, wasn't it? Oh, Violet, yes. I'm sorry. Okay. I got okay. the wrong one. All I did was write them. So I don't have to remember the title. <laughs> well, we want the folks uh, to go see it. This is actually the yes, truth now. Yes. Violet begins. It was a dark and stormy night, damn it. And here I was stuck in the raging river or something like that. Uh, Biscuit gets knocked off the town dock during a flood and um, and is stranded. And when I first wrote that book, I um, I had her in the water overnight, uh, stranded on a tree that was partially submerged and then um, when Atlanta had the floods in 2009 um, a woman named Diana Farmer was uh, was swept into the water and fortunately um, I interviewed her and found out that after 45 minutes she had um, her body core temperature had dropped so much so I had to rewrite the book so that Biscuit wasn't in there Overnight, She was only in the water for an hour before she was rescued. Wow. Folks, we're here this morning with Fran Stewart. Uh, her website that you can look at, we'll talk more about that one on the other side of the break here, but www.franstewart.com. While we're in break, listen to the commercials and also go to the website and see who we're speaking with, and we'll be back after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is Peter Wallace, inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day One with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we are back. We're here this morning with Fran Stewart, author of two great mystery series. And we've been talking to her primarily about Biscuit McKee. And we teased her a little bit about uh, borrowing the opening line from Snoopy uh, with It Was a Dark and Stormy Night. That's something that authors always uh, oh, the worst opening Charles line Schultz possible. stole it from all of us. Nobody can use it because he used it with a little puppy on a, on yep. a doghouse. But anyway, uh, we mentioned the website, franstewart.com. Tell us other places where folks can find out more about Fran Stewart and her work. For a sort of a more frequent um, updating of what's going on, um, my Facebook author page, it's Fran Stewart Author. Just all run together at Facebook and um, facebook.com forward slash Fran Stewart author if you want to find it that way. Stewart is S-T-E-W-A-R-T. All right. So so we want you to get out there. Those of you on Facebook, go visit the Facebook page and again also go to the website, which is FranStewart.com. Now we mentioned earlier and I think it's just fascinating how educational your books are, particularly Biscuit McKee, where you go into the different ailments and you offer a solution for people who mm-hmm. might be involved with these types of things. But besides just the educational aspect of these books, you like to have fun with your writing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, tell us about that. I I get to know my characters. Well, any good author is going to be really familiar with, with the characters that she creates, or he creates. But um, I find myself joking with them at odd times. You know, if I... If I somewhere and I'm bored, I carry on little conversations with my my characters and uh, have a lot of fun with that. I've um, I tried writing a, a thriller once <laughs> and I found out that I am not a thriller writer. I just I just can't do it. It kept it kept being funny. The result was a slaying song tonight. Um, about a newspaper reporter who is interviewing a serial killer and um, the serial killer goes into all these long explanations of all these all these people that she's that she killed and got away with and um, things like uh, poisoning the tomatoes and the canned tomatoes and that actually that doesn't sound very funny does it <laughs> but, <laughs> but when you when you read it it, it does come across funny I've, I've had people contact me through my website and say that they laugh themselves silly. Well, the book. Your take on the characters is quite true, and, and other writers know if, if your characters aren't talking to you, then they're not real enough. Mm-hmm. You need to flesh them out a little bit yes. more. But these are certainly that way. I uh, want to drop back to the Scott Shop series a minute and the book that we're primarily here talking about, mm-hmm. A Wee Murder in My Shop. Now, there's a ghost involved and the spirit in a wee shop. I guess it's fair to say that he's a friendly ghost. Yes, now, benevolent. <laughs> benevolent. Now, shouldn't a ghost be scary? No. No. Where'd you get that idea? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've I've actually seen three ghosts in my life, and um, but before I ever saw ghosts, my father kind of set me up to like ghosts because when I was a little bitty girl, I used to sit on his lap and he would read Casper the Friendly Ghost to me, the, the, the comic 
uh, comics. And um, so I, I guess from a very early age, I got the idea that ghosts were, you know, cute and round and kind of fuzzy, sort of like the Pillboy, Pillsbury Doughboy. Um, but then when I was in my 20s, a friend of mine died, and um, she contracted uh, chickenpox. She was in her mid-30s. And I'm the one who took her to the hospital when she got to the point where she couldn't breathe. Mm. And they put her immediately into intensive care, and uh, two days later she died. Goodness. And her ghost came to me the night after she had died. And uh, I was feeling very guilty about having not helped her more, not taken her to the hospital. I, I was 20. I didn't... 20-something. I didn't realize how hard it was. She had two small children. I didn't help take care of them because I was stupid. I was basically stupid. And after she died, I realized that I hadn't done enough to help her. And she came to me and she said, it's all right, Fran. I chose to go. Wow. And then when I was in London uh, once, I was in the uh, visiting the, the Tower of London and uh, in the White Tower, the oldest structure in that uh, in that enormous tower um, I was coming down the stairs there was nobody else in the stairway and I heard someone running down the stairs behind me so I, I moved out it's, you know circular stairs so mm-hmm. I moved out to the outside of the stairs so I wouldn't be mowed down by whoever was was coming down and as I looked up to my left a woman wearing a long green dress um, she had brown hair sort of pulled back from her face and a a ribbon or something holding her hair back Um, she came down and I could see the bricks through her she went right past me and her dress I never felt anything but I mean her dress would have gone right right through me or would have brushed against me if she'd been real Uh, she went down to the next landing looked out of the slit window that was there down into the courtyard, laughed, and then kept going. And so I walked down to the landing and put my hands right where she had put hers, and I looked out the slit, and there was a young man in the courtyard wearing, he had a, he had a dagger at his belt, and he had a, you know, sort of puffy sleeves, kind of orangey stuff, and a slouchy hat. And he was looking up, at the window where she had appeared and he was laughing and while I was looking at him two uh, nuns, modern day I mean they were you know wearing the habits um, came walking across the courtyard and they walked right through him and he disappeared and it was the happiest I mean I had the feeling they were you know she was going down to meet him and he was happy to be seeing her and it was I really wish that I had gone to one of the guards there at the tower and asked if anyone else had seen those two particular ghosts. And I I didn't think to do that. Someday you need to go to Roswell, Georgia, and have lunch at the public house. I've heard about that. Yes. Uh, Yes. We we had a nice conversation with the manager there. You would get a kick out of talking to him. You might even get to meet him. I I saw the ghost of a cat at the Shakespeare Tavern in downtown Atlanta. Yes. (laughs) Well, we're still talking about your characters. Okay. (coughs) Peggy. These are characters from a a Wee Murder in My Shop. Peggy Dirk. Caroline, Caroline with a K. Yes. You don't see that very often. Mason are just a few of the very well-fleshed-out characters that you have in this story. Do these names come to you first, or is it the character and then you name them? 
Um, yes and yes. <laughs> yes and yes. Okay. It, it, I, don't, I don't know. I, I have so many characters in my two series that I keep a spreadsheet listing each character, what their eye color is, their hair color, which book they show up in first. Um, it's, and there have been errors. I mean, I've, <laughs> um, in the Biscuit McKee series, I referred to uh, Biscuit's best friend as Melissa in one chapter and Melinda in another one in the first book. It happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, that's when I started keeping the spreadsheet so that I would, I would keep these straight. Caroline actually is named after a friend of mine who lives in Texas. She loaned me her name. And Peggy Wynn is named after my good friend Peggy Dixon. Okay. Who lives in Cumming. Now, the Caroline, is that with a K? With a K, well, yes. That, that's just very unusual. She's a twin, and she has a twin sister named Katie. Speaking of twins, there's another character in your book, Drew, mm-hmm. who suffers from an injury that you don't hear about every day. Uh, <laughs> where, where is this somebody you knew, or did you just make this he up? He fell off a dinosaur. Well, the frame around a, a dinosaur. Um Actually, yes, that is based on a true story. Uh, another friend of mine, Moselle Funderburg, who is an incredible artist, uh, was working on a, a dinosaur exhibit at a museum where she worked and fell off the frame and came so close to totally fracturing her back. If, mm. if she'd been a quarter of an inch over, the doctor said it would have been, you know, she would be a, a paraplegic, quadriplegic. But um, she was very lucky. But I just decided, I love that I fell off a dinosaur thing, so I had to use that. That's pretty good. Now, do you you make these characters, well, you're already explaining that pretty much, but are all of your characters based on people that you know? Oh, I would like to say that some of them are strictly an invention, but... There are bits and pieces of all sorts of people in each one of these characters. Um, myself, my family members, um, friends, people I've seen on the street, people I've had arguments with. You know, you have to be nice to mystery writers because they might put you in a book and kill you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, you, you've already admitted there's a little bit of Fran Stewart in, in many of the characters. Mm-hmm. Which one most reflects you in your personality? Oh, um, probably Biscuit, Biscuit McKee. Um, She's a librarian. I'm not a librarian, but I grew up in an Air Force family. And the library, no matter how often we moved, how many places we lived, the library was always the constant. I can remember my big sister taking me to the library at at new bases where we lived. And... um, so I, you know, I had to write a, a book about a librarian. Um, Biscuit is, in many ways, though, a, a more settled person than I was for many, many years. Uh, she has a good marriage. I don't have any experience like that. So um, I wrote, I wrote her the marriage that I wish I had had. Well, but fair. in yeah. many other ways, yes, she's very much like me. Listen, before we get ready for this next break, tell people again where they can find out more about Fran Stewart and her books. FranStewart.com is my website, and I have to admit it's not a real good one because I 
I'm not a real techie person, um, but it, there's stuff there. You know, you can find links to my books. And then um, my Facebook author page is Fran Stewart Author, all one word. So we got those two locations, the website and also Facebook, mm-hmm. all the information. And uh, it's it's quite a neat website. I spent a bit, great deal of time oh, there, you. and there's a good bit of information and links. So anyway, we invite you to go there. Again, folks, we're here this morning with Fran Stewart. We're talking about her two mystery series, and we're going to be back on America's Web Radio right after these messages. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we are back again. Welcome to the prologue here on America's Web Radio. Our guest this morning is Fran Stewart. And Fran has a little special uh, thing for us right now. Uh, a friend of ours that uh, I met in Brazelton about two months ago, and I think has been a friend of Fran's for some time, apparently has a little song she wrote about one of uh, Fran's books. And I think she's going to share that with us. Yes. But first, I have to explain how the song came about. Okay. I read the first chapter of A Wee Murder in My Shop to um, uh, some friends of mine. Jackie was one of them. And um, I have to give you some flavor about what, what I was reading. Chapter 1, The Benefits of Yoga. Yoga is supposed to relax you, isn't it? But the yoga manuals never say anything about what kind of breath to take when yoga class ended early because the teacher's water broke and you crept into your boyfriend's house at 10 p.m. as a special surprise and found Andrea, your as-of-this-very-minute former best friend ever since fourth grade, in bed with your as-of-this-very-minute former almost fiancé. 
I thought you were at yoga class, Mason said, and yoga composure be damned, I hauled off and slugged him. Then I took a strangled breath, the kind yoga practitioners always make fun of, and threw my key at his formerly well-loved head. I stomped down the stairs, slammed the front door, opened it, and slammed it again. Then I ran to Caroline's house, Caroline Log, my friend, my real friend. So I read that and, you know, the rest of the chapter as well. And pretty soon, um, a few weeks later, Jackie White, who is a fantastic writer in her own right, um, came up with this song. It's called Just Kill Him, Girl. It was the perfect romance. You dreamed that you'd be wed. You were sure your love would never end. But then you found your perfect man laying up in bed with your sneaky, trashy, used-to-be best friend. Bum, bum, bum. Just kill him, girl. Put a bullet through his brain. Put a knife through that cheating heart. And he won't cheat again. A little arsenic in his coffee. That'll make him pay. Get some women on your jury. And you won't serve a day. No, you won't serve a day. You can burn his pictures, return the gifts he gave, tell everyone you know about him and her. Cry yourself to sleep at night, get drunk and rant and rave, and long to have things back the way they were. Bum, bum. Or just kill him, girl. Run him over with your truck, take him out with a bazooka, and that'll change your luck. Then plead self-defense if you want to be smart. Yes, you took his life, but it was him who broke your heart. Yeah, him who broke your heart. Now you could change your hairstyle and lose those last five pounds. Go back to school and finish your degree. Travel the whole world around to find new sights and sounds and keep trying to erase his memory. Or just kill him, girl. Put a bomb in his TV. And the next big game he watches will go down in history. You can hire a hitman if you think that's what you'll need. But you'll get more satisfaction if it's you who does the deed. Yeah, you who does the deed. All right. I have two observations for our audience. Well, I, I need to mention one Okay, thing. go ahead. Jackie is a former cop. <coughs> well, that took mine. And she mine, worked yeah. homicide. Yes, that was what I was going to say. Oh. Jack, Jackie White is a former police officer. <laughs> yes. So she knows from what she spoke and, and what she wrote there. She sure and also, you have a career waiting for you in audio books or on stage or whatever. That, that was just, I'm serious about the audio. The way you read that was fascinating. Well, thank you. I was an old speech major in college, oh, so. Well, excellent. And and the, the tone quality, too, for the song, very good. We Thank enjoyed you. that. Thank you. No extra charge, audience. That was for free out yeah. there. So enjoy that. Make your own little YouTube of that part. I, Jackie and I have talked about it. We just She's so busy with the Brazelton Gallery. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back here now, talking a little bit about research. You mentioned research a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the research for this novel, and we're talking about A Wee Murder in My Shop, it had to be both historical and present day. So yes. you had both worlds you were talking about. How did you collect the facts to create this tale? I actually um, studied a lot about, um, well, Chaucer, 14th century England um, and Scotland when I was in college years ago. And so I, I had a, already had a background in in that sort of thing, 
but I've, I have done a lot of research about the words that he uses because there are many words that um, used to be used and are no longer. So uh, Peggy has a lot of fun times trying to figure out what he's talking about. I mean, if he says, you need a wench, so she kind of figures out that that means wench means complain. And theotorongue um, uh, is another word that sort of means complaining, you know, grumbling, that, that kind of thing. Do you know there are about, I don't know, 40 different words that mean grumble or complain? In Scottish. In in. Scottish and ancient English, even in modern day English, they weren't very happy people. Right? I guess not. <laughs> uh, There's mentioning about the clothing. Family colors were important to the Scots. Yes, the tartans are very important, and that's where the internet has been very handy because there are some Scottish tartan sites on there where you can go and look up any clan name and find all the different variations of the tartans. Was there any one particular research project that was the most fun? Oh, well, I guess the most important thing is going to the Scottish Games (laughs) because the third book, A Wee Homicide in the Hotel, will have um, the Scottish Games in it. And um, and that's, that's great fun. Yeah. Okay, very good. I want to go back to Biscuit McKee for just a little bit okay. here now. Uh, again, we mentioned Biscuit McKee series is currently seven books. Uh, the second of these actually won a very prestigious honor for you. Back in 2005, it won the National IPI, which is Independent Publishers Book Awards, for Mystery Suspense Thriller. So yes. you said you hadn't written a thriller, but you did. Well, they categorized them all together right. in um, for that particular award. And I was actually very surprised to have won it because generally reviewers like thrillers better than cozies. And um, But I, I guess the way Yellow as Legal Pads was crafted, they, they liked it. Obviously, it's a they very did. intricate book, but v- I loved writing it. <laughs> well, congratulations! And, you know, speaking of the research, I did a lot of research for that one on poisons. Um, <laughs> I have this book called "Deadly Doses: A Writer's Guide to Poisons," that lists every poison imaginable. Actually, I had a figure feeling that you probably looked through that book yourself for your book, um, "The Sun Sil- Silas Rising," um, because you had a weird poison in there and um, and I would I would spend all sorts of time going through this all the lists of what the symptoms were and what you could mix it with and what color it was and all of that stuff I found some really good poisons <laughs> well, I was going to say I may need to look at that because we're still keeping that character going yeah, yes. <laughs> we might need some more equipment um, you know the Ippy is, is a no small thing that is very and I want to congratulate you again thank you I mentioned earlier that I've had the pleasure of meeting quite a number of, of writers and doing this type of thing for a while. Uh, I've had three other Ippy winners. Mm-hmm. I think I told you off the air. But Grace Hawthorne mm-hmm. won an Ippy here in Georgia. Dr. Bill Keaton won regionally. And, of course, Dr. Darden North out yes. of Jackson, Mississippi. So I can tell you, you're in very good company Thank you. Uh, being an Ippy winner. And was it the same year or the year after that you also were named as Georgia Author of the Year in a poetry category? Oh, yes. Um, 
I can't remember what year that was. <laughs> I believe the research said it was the same year. It was 05 or 06. 06 yeah. But your work, Resolution, was a compilation of poems. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, there was one poem in there, the, the title poem, um, that I think the, the, uh, the judge had was just absolutely intrigued with. She um, she said it was like reading Emerson, um, that I had taken a situation and reflected upon it and come to some conclusions based on it. It was, it was based on the, uh, the death of my mother. Mm. My mother was um, probably the unhappiest person I have ever known. And um, she was toward the end of her life um, she went into dementia but even before that she was a very uh, close hearted closed hearted person and she had arthritis her her hands were twisted and and bent and toward the end her her hands were they were like um, clubs They they were gripped so tightly closed so that as she was dying, I had to force my hands between, you know, into into hers just so I could hold her hand. But I had gone through a whole lot of uh, forgiveness exercises and, and things like that over the previous years before she died. So that by the time she died, it was just the two of us in that room. It wasn't me and my mother and guilt and anger and resentment and, you know, all, all of those things weren't there. It was just me sitting with a dying woman. And after she died, I wrote a poem about it. Um, when she died, the moment she died, her hands relaxed, and they were so supple and so soft. And I realized that it wasn't arthritis that was holding her hands clutched like that. It was her unforgiving attitude. And when she died, she let go of all that. And so the last verse of that poem is, The gift my mother gave to me the night she died was a deep, strong, heart-committed knowing that I will never close my fist and wait for death to open it. My goodness. Now, this book is available also through Amazon and um, I'm not sure it's even in print anymore. Mm. Um, I haven't I haven't looked, but Georgia it author probably ought to be. <laughs> yeah, probably ought to be. Um, I don't know how we transition away from that. That was powerful. Um, let's ask about the young Fran. Okay, let's go back in mm. time a little bit. Okay. Um, God, she was a mess. <laughs> I know. I think we want to get away from that. Uh, you were an Air Force. I was an Air Force brat. Brat. All right. I had that yep. down, and I didn't want to insult you. But, yeah, you were an Air Force. Uh, you traveled a great deal then in, yes. in your youth. Okay. Yeah. I went to four different high schools, ninth, 10th, 11th grade. Ooh. Okay. You 12th. had it worse than I did. Yeah. Where were you born? I was born just north of the um, San Francisco, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. California. Yeah. Okay. Marin County. And were you there very long? Enough Nine to know months. That? Nine months. Okay. <laughs> so you weren't exactly a, an expert on the area. Right? Uh, no, okay. not at all. And then uh, we moved to Tennessee, and then we moved to a different place in Tennessee, and then we moved to South Carolina, and then we moved to Germany, three different bases, and then to Colorado Springs, and then to Ohio. And 
shall I go on? <laughs> what? How about brothers and sisters? How big was I, the family? Uh, just my older sister. Older sister. Yes. Okay. And she's the one who was bipolar, is bipolar. And uh, she's my dearest friend now. That's an odd yeah. disease, isn't it? I mean, I've yeah. met one individual that has that, and it's, it, like you said, it, you, you, until it's diagnosed, you don't know what you're dealing with. Mm-mm. It's just very strange. Mm-hmm. Were there any other writers in your family? No. Okay. No. Although, once my sister was diagnosed and got the treatment that she needed and everything, she's always been a, an artist. Uh, she's a fabric artist. But um, she began writing, and she's turned out to be a very good writer. Outstanding. Folks, we are here with Fran Stewart. This is the prologue on America's Web Radio, and we will return after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back. We are here this morning on the prologue. Our guest is Fran Stewart. We've been talking about her series of books, both the Scott Shop series and Biscuit McKee series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've just been talking about her background and where she's from. And she mentioned a sister a while ago. I believe you wanted to tell us something about your sister's book. Absolutely. My sister, Diana Alice House, is a fabric artist. And um, around the time that she was diagnosed with the bipolar disorder, she had started creating a quilt that was um, just a, an amazing piece of, of art. It was, it was beautiful. And then once she was diagnosed and got the medication she needed, she continued creating these pieces that show what depression feels like. And I convinced her to write a book about it because I said, this word needs to get out. So she has a book. It's called Depression Visible, The Ragged Edge. Uh, Her website is depressionvisible.com. And you can buy her book on, you know, Amazon, the usual places, things like that. But it is written for the layperson. It's not a clinical type book although it does have some clinical information in it it's very good if you know anyone who has or you think might have uh, depression you need to get the book depression visible the ragged edge by diana alice house okay very good and that's on amazon yes all right folks want you to look for that one as well now fran i understand 
that you have done this particular job yourself, uh, <laughs> interviewing writers on the radio, and yes. uh, it, it's fun. I know that. Now, in 2009, you had a project. It's uh, described as a year-long project mm-hmm. doing just that on Internet radio. How many authors can you recall? How many did you interview in total? Well, it was 52 weeks. It was one entire year, and every Friday morning from 10 to 11, I interviewed someone although the first show uh, the second show the person I was interviewing didn't call in she was in California I was here in Georgia and she didn't call in so I had to ad lib for an hour so instead of 52 people I interviewed 51 people <laughs> I don't think that ad libbing was very difficult for you I really oh I'm a ham I could just you know I read some from my different books and were, were the folks writing. were the writers from different genres or was this a particular they were all mystery writers all mystery yes writers. the show was called mystery matters and uh, I had a chance to interview writers that I probably would not have had a chance to talk with, at least not for an entire hour, uh, people like um, Charlene Harris and Donna Leone and uh, Jack, um, Julia Spencer Fleming and, you know, people that are well known in the mystery field. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Donna Leone lived in, lives in Italy, in Venice, and so we had to coordinate the time difference between sure. there and and I think California is where the radio station, internet radio, was was um, based. So it was it was just lots of fun. Although I got absolutely no writing done that year because I had made a commitment to myself that I would read every single book written by every single one of the writers that I interviewed. And some of them had written you know one, two, three, four books, but Tana Leone had written twenty two, I think, at the time, and. Somebody else had written 14, and I read every single one of them. Oh, except busy. for one. I missed Aqua Alta by Donna Leone. I didn't get that one finished before the show. Well, there's still time. <laughs> oh, I've read it since. <laughs> what did you learn from that experience? What was the takeaway for you, Fran Stewart? I learned something that I had, had felt at a gut instinct, that writers are people. It's just that writing is one of our skills, the way other people are skilled at business or or at art or at uh, conversation or, or whatever. But each one of these people had a deep reason for why why the writing was important. And I knew that I, I breathe, therefore I write for myself. And I saw that in these other people on a a deep personal level. And it was, it was fascinating. There are so many writers out there, you know, so many, so many books, so little time. And I, I wanted, I wanted to keep going. And yet I, I couldn't, I, it was strictly a one year project and uh, there was no way I could keep doing that much writing, uh, reading every week, but but I loved it. Oh, I can, Great you know, I can imagine. This is the point in the show where we normally ask our guest, what advice would you give to other writers? Well, we've got an expert on that. In fact, we've got somebody here today that actually wrote a book 
mm-hmm. about that. Uh, you have out and available. It is mm-hmm. still on Amazon. It's called From the Tip of My Pen. This is nonfiction, and it actually came from uh, a blog or some writings that you did. Uh, for it was the, for the Atlanta Writers Club. Yeah. Um, they asked me to write a monthly column for their newsletter, their e, okay. uh, you know, electronic newsletter. And that those articles were called From the Tip of My Pen. It was just little essays on how to use the English language effectively, how to do setting and dialogue and all those things that writers need to know how to how to handle. Um, why not to use too many adverbs, you know, things like that. And so it was really the easiest book that I ever wrote because it was already written. My publisher took six years' worth of those columns and said, just write an exercise to go with each each essay. And I I did. And it's a, it, the subtitle of that is A Workbook for Writers because it's meant to be worked on, written, do the exercises, read the essays, learn from it, because it's... It's what I've learned through my writing that I wish, many of these things I wish I had known ahead of time. I made some mistakes on my first book. One of my characters was uh, just stereotypical, and I, I wasn't fair to her. And if somebody had told me ahead of time about stereotyping, I, I might not have made that mistake. Although I corrected it in later books. Okay. Let's crack into that book a little bit. Let's cheat and, and give the folks a, a hint at what you would say are tips for the new writer. In your own words, do you have a, a, a strict policy of uh, how many hours that a writer should put in during the day or how many words they should write each day or anything of that nature? I've never been able to set a schedule because I do so many things. I mean, I do a lot of volunteer work and, and stuff like that, and so it it just doesn't fit me to say, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write from 8 to 12 and I'll have lunch and then I'll write from 1 to 5. Um, I, I can't do it that way. Although with Berkeley Press, there are deadlines that I absolutely cannot miss. So I've, I've found myself being much more definite about the number of hours per day that I that I write, particularly as the deadline gets closer and closer. And um, I remember once uh, writing on a, one of the Biscuit McKee books, the Indigo is an Iris, the fifth one. I sat down at five in the evening and I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm going to write until seven. And so I was having trouble ending the book. I, I knew sort of what I wanted to do with it, but I, there was still quite a bit to write. So I sat down at five o'clock and I stopped writing at seven the next morning. I had written for 14 hours straight. I never stood up. I never stretched. I never took a bathroom break. I didn't go get coffee. I didn't do anything like that. I just wrote and cried. I love Indigo as an Iris, and the ending is spectacular, if I do say so myself. <laughs> well, you're welcome. You know that's dangerous. I have a friend that did something similar to that and ended up in a hospital. Oh. Uh, you have to get up and move around. I don't mean to interrupt that. Yeah, well, anyway. I usually I do. I mean, this is the only time I've ever done something like that. Yeah. Do you work from an outline? No. Okay, good. No, All I right. tried that. Too restrictive. Well, I didn't know where to go with the outline. You know, the characters keep saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want to go over here. And they take off, and I just have to follow them. Very good. We're running low on time here. i got a couple other things I need to ask you. Are 
you are a public speaker. Yes. What topics do you talk about? What topics do you want me to talk about? Excellent answer. Very good. How do folks get in touch with you to do that? Um, Fran Stewart at iCloud.com. Okay. Right. It's my email address. And we kind of glossed over it, but you, you speak about your books and you speak about your experiences and other things like that. Yes. Yeah. So you can fit into just about any type of group. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Uh, we mentioned uh, your radio show project. You also had a project uh, of keeping a couple of sets of beehives. Oh. And you wrote a blog right about bees. that. Is, yes. Is that still available? Is that material out there? The blog is still there. It's beesneesbeekeeping.blogspot.com. And I made a commitment to myself that I would blog for 600 days in a row, every single day. (sighs) And I did it. Um, It it started out while I was learning about the bees and preparing to get the beehives. And then I got the beehives and um, had them, and then I developed an allergy to the bee stings, and I had to get rid of my hives. Oh, me. But while I had them, they were wonderful. So that's I out there. Listen, before we get away, you've got a new book coming out in January. A dose of death. Outstanding. Yes. Give us a sneak preview. January 5th, it starts. And um, in this one, Peggy and Dirk, the, the ghost, have been living together for um, quite a while. And she's she's gotten kind of upset by him because he's he's always telling her what to do. And she doesn't she doesn't like that, so she grumps at him a bit here and there. Um, and I'll I'll read you you know two seconds from it. Um, she's on the phone talking to Emily, a woman who calls her on a regular basis and just gets on her nerves. And she finally rolls her eyes. I rolled my eyes at Dick Farwerson, the 14th century ghost I'd acquired on a recent trip to Scotland, who stood looking out my living room bay window. I pointed to his left. Whoops, I said into the phone. I have to run, Emily. There's the door. You go answer it, Peggy. I'll wait. No, I'll I'll probably be a while. I'll catch up with you later. I disconnected and heaved a sigh. You weren't quite honest with Mistress Emily. There's nobody come a-calling at the door. Even though I could almost see through him, even though he'd been dead 650 years, he still had opinions that were hard to shake. I didn't say there was anybody standing outside. All I said was, there's the door. And, I pointed again, there it is. It seemed perfectly logical to me. If she wanted to think someone was knocking on it, that's her problem. He made that low-pitched Scottish sound of disapproval. <laughs> Fran, thank you so much. Listen, thank it has been a pleasure that. having you here this morning. Good luck with all the books, especially that new one coming out, A Wee Dose of Death. Yep, January 5th, Eagle Eye Bookstore. And thank you for being here. Listen, again, folks, I am Doug Dahlgren. I appreciate you folks listening to the prologue. For myself and our guest this morning, Fran Stewart, let me say look after yourselves and each other. Read a book. If not one of Fran's, maybe one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.